Well, welcome to the Faith Life Podcast. I'm Seth, and I'm here with Jordan, where we seek to take biblical and cultural questions and answer them through the lens of Scripture. Today is our graduation edition, as many high school students are graduating from school, and many college students are as well. And so, Jordan, I'm going to throw it over to you as you kind of set the tone for what we're doing today a little bit. Seth, several years ago, uh, as I was graduating high school, you had the opportunity to come and speak at one of my graduation ceremonies for our senior class. Uh-huh. And there, during that ceremony, you dealt with different principles to live by. And since we're having Graduate Sunday this weekend here at our church, and we know that many students across the nation are graduating high school and college, uh, we want you to share those same principles that you shared with me and my class today. I remember that. It was a, a wonderful opportunity and a great moment, and it's always exciting. Uh, there are so many different emotions that run uh, as you're graduating high school and college, so many decisions to be made, and, and many young people get overwhelmed. I know I was, and, and even then, uh, what I thought I would be doing is not what I'm doing now, uh, being a minister. Uh, I didn't think that's what God had for me at that time, and yet God worked and transformed that. So today I want to look at 11 principles to live life by, and really they are grounded in Scripture. And I'm just going to highlight these in our podcast over the next 15, 20 minutes that we're together. And my hope is uh, that these are something that our young people can implement in their life. And I would share this. These are biblical or principles that I am still implementing and at times struggle to implement in my life. It's something I have to constantly renew myself on, but I have found these to be very effective in honoring the Lord most of all, but also just effective in living life wisely and uh, with wisdom. And the first one that I would share with you is developing an attitude of thankfulness. Some would call it an attitude of gratitude, but being thankful. And I'll share this. It is really hard to be angry and thankful at the same time. And it is also very hard to have anxiety and be thankful at the same time. And for us as believers, we have so much to be thankful that Jesus Christ has paid our sin debt upon the cross and we have a risen Savior and one day we're going to be with him and liking him and he's in control of our lives. And and so we have so much to be thankful that we're free in Christ Jesus, but developing and cultivating an attitude of thankfulness. And, And so what I have to do is be deliberate about this. Sometimes it means I have to write things out. Sometimes even in my prayer life to just begin to start and list those things. I remember the old hymn that we used to sing, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And that is so true. But I have found when I am getting a little bit down, maybe there's some discouragement that's setting in. Maybe there's a little bit of anxiety that's setting in, worry that's setting in. Or even when I'm beginning to get frustrated with life, if I will turn and cultivate that area of thankfulness, and the scriptures have so much to say about it, we find that Israel was not thankful for what God has done. We find in Philippians, uh, we in Philippians chapter 4, Paul deals with uh, the area of thankfulness. Thankfulness in regards to being anxious 
and what is setting our mind on those things which are good and pure. And you have all of these scriptures that point to this and that God just is a God that provides. He's a good God. But being thankful for what God has done is number one. Number two, and this is really a foundational principle for us as Christians, is seek first the kingdom of God. It's Matthew 6, 33, talks about, and he shall add all of these things. But one of the things that you will find, whether it's in your marriage or in your family or in your home, Satan loves to distract. And what he wants to do is distract you from what God is wanting to do in your life. He's wanting to take God and place him second or third. And he's going to constantly try to battle for that. And what you're going to find is Satan is someone who distracts. And so I want to encourage you to make sure you have to sometimes reset priorities. Make sure your priorities are in line with Scripture. God has designed us. He has created us. He has designed the family. He knows what's best for us. And so therefore, we submit to God and we want to make sure our lives line up. Satan is chaotic. He loves to produce chaos in our lives. But God is a God of design. He's a God of purpose. Seek first the kingdom of God. Make sure that is a number one priority. So the first two, be thankful and seek first the kingdom of God. Let me bring you into the third one. The third one is a principle that comes from my dad, but I also think it is a biblical principle. And it's a word that my dad used to use for me. And it's a word I didn't necessarily love because I was a type of young person I had uh, would like to start something, but wouldn't always like to finish it. Mm. I like to start a class, start uh, a sport. But my dad would come to me and say, "Son, you have to have stickability." And stickability means you persevere through difficulty. Let me say that again: perseverance through difficulty. I had gotten into doing some running and, and done a little bit of marathons and a few things like that. And you will find that there are times that you just want to quit. And preparation is important, but you're going to have to have that perseverance to stick through something. And I don't care if you're in college taking a difficult class. You're going to have to have some perseverance in that. Perseverance in your parenting. Perseverance in your marriage. Uh, Satan, once again, not only does he like to confuse and rewrite our priorities, he also uh, loves for us to quit. And we found that the, our Lord and Savior is the greatest example. He endured the cross. He endured the suffering of the cross for the glory that was set before him. And he gives that example. God has not necessarily caused us to be rich. He's not necessarily called us to be uh, powerful. But what he's called us to do is be faithful stewards. And those stewards are not just money, but it's our time. It's our abilities. And to be faithful. And to do that requires us to have stickability to see something through. Uh, and you're going to find that you need that in a job. You're going to need that in your family. You're going to need that in all areas of life. So let that word kind of become your word that my dad pushed uh, really on us as children, the area of stickability. He also modeled that for us. I've seen him take and be at a ministry for 40 years uh, through ups and downs, through difficulties. I've seen him and my mom be married now for over 40 years and uh, have seen them uh, with stickability in that. And we want to be not only people that use that word, but model that word as well. Number four is the area of discipline. And I like to break discipline into three categories. 
Uh, you can read a lot about discipline in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 12 deals with some discipline about loving it. And discipline, I like to look at in three categories. One, it's the area of you don't know it all, so you've got to get instruction. It is the pursuit of knowledge and truth and instruction. The pursuit of knowledge, truth, and instruction. To take that discipline. I don't know everything. I've got to pursue truth, pursue knowledge, pursue instruction. That's done through the study of the Word of God, but that's done also in other ways. The second part of discipline is to be able to receive correction. This is a difficult thing sometimes for me to receive correction for someone to say, hey, Seth, uh, you didn't handle this right and to be able to receive that. I do believe that God has placed some people in my life that uh, love me, that care for me, that want to see God's will done in my life. And so I, those people in particular, I need to be able to receive correction. Seth, you, you didn't handle this right. Let me give you some uh, feedback on that. And so can you receive correction or are you the type of young person that no one can tell you nothing? And so being able to receive correction. And then the third part of discipline, uh, this fourth principle that we're looking at is self-control. And self-control requires a couple of things. And, and part of that discipline is the self-control to go to bed when I need to go to bed, to prepare uh, for the school assignments that you may have, to prepare for the job that you may have, the self-control and discipline to get up when I'm supposed to, the discipline in all areas, spiritual disciplines that we talk about in some of the other podcasts, and also some of the physical disciplines uh, that we have, self-control. And so I've got to practice self-control when I want to eat my whole pack of Oreos, I've got to pack, uh, do self-control when I want to eat that whole box of Krispy Kreme donuts. Self-control. Self-control in my attitude. Self-control in the way that I handle my tongue, our speech. And the Bible talks a lot about using our words. And James is seasoned, as prepared. And so self-control in all areas of life. That's all under that umbrella of discipline, which includes the pursuit of instruction, the receiving of correction, and the practice of self-control. The practice of self-control. The next one that I would have is number five, and that's taking responsibility. Uh, a lot of times we have to get rid of excuses, and even a lot of times we don't even apologize well. And part of taking responsibility is being able to say, I'm sorry, I own it, I messed up. And sometimes uh, we like to hide our faults. We like to make excuses for that. Even you will find in your marriage a lot of times that you'll say something like, I'm sorry, but I did this because you did this. Taking responsibility means that we don't make excuses for necessarily our failures, that we own those. I had to learn a little bit of that, especially when I was in the banking industry. And even now, I uh, still am learning that. But to be able to come to my bosses and not try to hide, not try to make excuses, say, hey, this is an area we're weak in. Can you give me some coaching? Can you give me some feedback? I didn't handle this well. What improvements do we need to make? And being able to take responsibility. Number six is something I think is growing, especially in our younger culture, and that is the victim mentality. And the victim mentality uh, allows us to feel that the whole world is against us, we're all alone, the tables are set against us. Listen, life is difficult. There are discouraging things that happen, difficult things that happen. You deal with death, or heartbreak, brokenness. A lot of these things happen. And so it's not saying that bad things don't happen. It's not saying there's not a time of grief. 
It's not saying that your grief and sorrow is not well, but what I'm getting with a victim mentality gets stuck in being a victim. Uh, they get stuck in victimhood. And the problem is that what good does that do? How does that ever help you to me move forward? How does that help you to keep going? I think there is a time of grief. There is a time to acknowledge wrongdoing, but we want to cast those cares upon the Lord. And then we want to begin to move forward, knowing that as believers, God has a good and perfect will from our life. We find that in Romans 8, 28. Uh, I'm a lover of God. And so we find that. And, and so I would caution us to begin to feed the victim mentality, feed self-pity, um, where there's got to be some times of grieving, there's acknowledging that maybe someone has wrong done, uh, wrongdoing, and I'll deal with more of this as we deal with the area of forgiveness in a few moments, but getting trapped in a victim mentality where you're always the victim and everyone else is against you, you can find you're doing that with work, you can find that you do that in your marriage, you can find that you do that with your friends, you can find that you begin to have that in life, and here's what happens, you get stuck there. And that becomes a prison. Listen, that becomes a prison for you. It does you no good. Um, God has a purpose for your life. And so learning to move forward, learning to keep going. Paul said, I press toward the mark. That word press has to do with labor. It has to do with to keep pushing on. And we do that for the high calling because we are in Christ. The next one I'll share with you is number seven. And I also would really say this is for our young generation. This is something I stress in youth group. This is something I want to stress in my own home to my children. And I really want to model this. And that is let your yes be yes. Say you're going to call somebody, do it. You say you're going to be there at a certain time, do it. Uh, you, you commit to something, see it through. See it through. Let your yes be yes. I think this is a big issue uh, in our culture today that will commit, overcommit, and underdeliver. I understand that there are times that we fall short. I've realized that maybe you forget to write something down, but I try to write things down. I try to, if I tell someone I'm going to call them, if I tell someone I'm going to pray for them, I want to make sure I'm doing that, even if that means at that very moment. There have been times that someone tells me something and we're in the middle of Walmart, and I know that if I walk out of Walmart, I might forget because I forgot what I even came into Walmart for. And so I know that I'll probably forget. So right there in Walmart, I need to pray for them immediately and not say, I'm going to pray for you. Let me pray for you right now and just lift them up to the Lord. We need to let our yes be yes. Um, not just, and that, that goes right in with the stickability part. That goes right in with the taking responsibility. And you're going to see and these things flow in and out of each other, each one of these principles. So let your yes be yes. Number eight, be careful in trusting your emotions. God has given us our emotions, but our emotions are tainted by sin. And so we have to check our emotions against the word of God. We also with the work of the Holy Spirit, and we have to check our emotions because what happens with our emotions is they can just get all out of whack. Just because you don't feel like giving the work, going to work, doesn't mean you trust your emotions. You don't feel like doing a homework assignment. Uh, just because you feel like yelling at somebody, uh, you don't feel like being married today, 
You don't feel like parenting today. If you trust your emotions and everything and you do not check your emotions, you're going to find that your life is going to be a roller coaster. And let me tell you what else it's going to be. It's going to be a mess. Uh, not checking your emotions of, on anger, uh, checking your emotions on selfishness, which I'll touch a little bit more on, but checking our emotions against the lens of Scripture. Um, one of the things is we do not want to be controlled by our emotions. We want to control our emotions. Now, like I said, God has given us our emotions, but our emotions are tainted by sin, and we have to be very careful. I feel this way. Well, are my feelings wrong? Should I not? How have I examined this through Scripture? Um, and so we have to be very careful with that. And that flows right into the next one, number nine, fight selfishness. I like to put it this way, and this is why I tell a lot of times my kids and even youth group and even have to remind myself, selfishness equals sadness. Selfishness equals sadness. Uh, the selfish person is always self-centered, so they're never going to be thankful, okay? So that's another principle that we've entertained. They're never going to be thankful because they're so self-focused. And selfishness is the joy robber. While thankfulness a lot of times brings joy, selfishness is the opposite. And let me say this, we all are prone to be selfish. It is easy for me to be selfish in my home and in my marriage and in the workplace and where selfishness certainly shouldn't be plagued is in our church and we have to fight that individually we have to fight that as a body of Christ we have to fight that in our marriages and so learning to fight against selfishness is an imperative and an essential and Christ is the greatest example who left the splendor of heaven came and was born in a stable, a willing servant came into his own and he endured the cross uh, for the joy that was set behind before him. And we see that Christ is a, the serving, uh, was, came to seek and to serve that, the lost. And so we see that. And so we model Christ out. And so fight selfishness. Number 10 is to pursue forgiveness. I recognize that forgiveness can be extremely difficult. Uh, freedom is in forgiveness. And the first area that we think about is how Christ, through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been forgiven. Not because we deserve it, but because of two things, his grace and his mercy, that Christ grants us forgiveness uh, that we receive by faith alone. In, in Christ alone, right? And so we receive that uh, forgiveness. And so because we have been greatly forgiven, we want to be people who practice forgiveness. But it, there's two choices. There's free, freedom that comes from forgiveness. Or let me give you the other one. Don't forgive and allow bitterness to fester in your life. I can remember one occasion where we were dealing with the area of forgiveness and this lady talked about how for 40 years she had not forgiven something and had festered and robbed her of her joy. And I think we need to understand what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not saying the other person was right. Forgiveness 
it is not saying that there are no consequences. Free Forgiveness is letting go and trusting God and no longer holding it to their account. It's trusting God through it. And so I think sometimes we think forgiveness means that the other person was right and we're wrong. That's not necessarily forgiveness. We practice forgiveness because of how we have been forgiven in Jesus Christ. And even now, as I speak of forgiveness, I guarantee you that certain times in your life you're thinking of where someone has been ugly to you. They have said ugly words to you. You have been greatly hurt and damaged in all of these different areas. And I think that's where our mind comes to of how we have been wronged. And possibly we have, and I'm sure many have. But yet, I also know that there have been times that I have misspoken, said things that I shouldn't have. I've been times that I've done things wrong that I shouldn't have, and I need forgiveness of those things. And so I want to be forgiven. I want to be a grantor of forgiveness. And we see that model in Christ and so much teaching. We could dive in deeper into individual passages of Scripture on forgiveness. But I think just that in, in general, the life lesson, and notice the word I used, a pursuer of forgiveness. Uh, seek to forgive so that you can find freedom and not become in bondage to bitterness. The last one I want to give you is comes from Proverbs chapter 17. A joyful heart uh, is good medicine. And it's the idea of laughter. I think laughter is a good medicine. I think life often gets serious. And I think even for marriages, maybe you when you first started dating uh, your, your spouse, uh, you laughed all the time. You sought to make each other happy. As life gets serious, which it does have serious parts, you're raising kids, there's finances that you have to take place, there's uh, schedules and everything else, you forget to laugh. I think this takes serious the Word of God and the biblical truths of the Word of God, but learn to laugh a little bit at yourself. I know for me personally, I, I do some dumb things uh, from time to time. Some would say all the time. But learn to make fun of yourself a little bit. Learn to laugh a little bit. And learn to be enjoyable. I have found that uh, people that are sticks in the mud and are no fun to be around are no fun to be around. And so learning to laugh and uh, to enjoy laughter is a good and healthy thing. There's many other biblical principles or principles that we could go through. You've got some on financing, of being a proper steward, living within your means. And there's other principles that we could point to. But I really think these 11 are wonderful principles to live by. And these are some of the ones that I've shared with other uh, students that have graduated high school. These are some of the ones that I come back personally to reflect on in my own life. And so I hope that these can be a help to you and a best practice to you in your life. Thank <laughs> you.